95% of the properties in Barbuda were damaged. It is absolutely heart-wrenching. From Pacifica Radio in Los Angeles, this is the broadcast as heard on KPFK 90.7 FM in LA. Up in Oregon on 91.7 KYAQ on the Central Coast, 106.7 Queso in Cottage Grove. In Lancaster, Pennsylvania on 92.9 WLRI. In Maui, Hawaii on 88.5 KAKU. In Columbus, Ohio on WGRN 94.1. In Palinville, New York on 102.9 WLPP. In Grand Rapids, Michigan on WPRR, in New Orleans on 102.3 WHIV, in Washington, D.C. on 105.5 FM, and Minneapolis, St. Paul on AM 950 KTNF. We also stream coast-to-coast and around the globe every day on the internets on the Progressive Voices Channel. Netroots Radio, Indie Media Weekly, FYI Nation, NicoleSandler.com if she has not yet evacuated Florida. Radio Free Brooklyn, GDPR Revolution 99, Deprogrammed Radio, Detour Talk, and Radio Sputnik. Blanketing Planet Earth, five days a week. I'm Brad Friedman, your friendly investigative blogger, journalist, troublemaker, muckraker, and all-around swell fellow, says me, from bradblog.com. Thank you very much for joining us today. Uh, Coming up after 10 Republican states had sued the Obama and then the Trump administration to end the Deferred Action for Childhood Arrivals, or DACA, program. Now that the Trump administration has announced this week that they were, in fact, ending uh, DACA, some 15 Democratic states are suing the Trump administration to reinstate it. We will speak with an attorney from the National Immigration Law Center about that lawsuit just filed on Wednesday shortly. Also, a little bit later in the show, Desi Doyen will be here with the Green News Report. Hello, Desi. Hello. We've got uh, three hurricanes uh, and a tropical storm now following Harvey. Uh, three hurricanes and tropical storm in the Atlantic after Harvey. And uh, as well, we've got record heat and wildfires in the West. And with all eyes now on the Caribbean and Florida with Hurricane Irma, hopefully we'll have some uh, more details on the man-made ecological disaster in Houston that you've been looking into as well. Yeah, it's not great. Uh, That, of course, thanks to the uh, Texas uh, petrochemical industry uh, and their very, uh, well, the very industry-friendly laws that have now allowed companies to legally dump tons of toxic chemicals into the air and water amidst damage and uh, and flooding from Harvey. But uh, from Harvey to Irma, reports of fatalities and widespread damage today in the northern Caribbean islands uh, has begun to emerge uh, late last night after Hurricane Irma, one of the most powerful storms ever recorded in the Atlantic, blasted through some of these uh, island nations with devastating winds and rain. Barbuda right now is literally a rubble, said Prime Minister Gaston Brown of Antigua and Barbuda. 
During an interview, uh, he said the entire housing stock, the entire housing stock was damaged. He said after visiting the island of 1,800 people, it is just uh, a total devastation, he says. He spoke with CNN late on Wednesday night. It was heart-wrenching, absolutely devastating. I have never seen any such destruction on a per capita basis compared to what I saw in Barbuda this afternoon. 95% of the properties in Barbuda were damaged. The infrastructure was damaged, all of the institutions, the loan hospital, the schools. It is absolutely heart-wrenching. Irma destroyed, uh, that was the uh, Prime Minister of Antigua and Barbuda, Gaston Brown. Uh, Irma destroyed government buildings, tore roofs from houses, left islands without power or communication. Prime Minister Brown said there currently is no water or phone service for Barbuda residents. Communication was disrupted disrupted after winds snapped a cell a cell tower in two on the island. Irma damaged Barbuda's lone airport, which will now force officials to ferry supplies to the tiny island by boat and helicopter from Antigua. Charles Fernandez, the Minister of Foreign Affairs and International Trade for Antigua and Barbuda, Barbuda said the uh, destruction there was, quote, upwards of 90 percent. So 90 percent, 95 percent, just devastation from this storm. At least two people died and two others were seriously injured on St. Bart's and St. Martin, according to the French Overseas Affairs Minister. Those islands are French uh, overseas uh, protectorates, co- protectorates, I collectivities, I think uh, I've seen them referred to as. The uh, French interior minister told reporters that in terms of material damage, the four strongest buildings on the island of St. Martin have been destroyed, which means that weaker structures have likely been uh, either damaged or completely destroyed. Dan Gibbs, chair of a council on St. Martin, uh, told uh, Radio Caribbean International that it is an enormous disaster. He said, I am in shock. One homeowner said that uh, his uh, his home, which has a concrete roof and hurricane shutters, was spared. But many other homes suffered damage. He said utility poles are down everywhere. There's no power, no public water. He said from my balcony alone, I count at least 24 homes and apartment buildings with either partial or entirely entire roofs missing. Yeah, and the on the Dutch side of St. Martin, which is called St. Martin, uh, one of the tourists said it's like someone with a lawnmower from the sky has gone over the island. Un- yeah. Stripped just- it clean. The uh, the fire ho- uh, house in St. Bart's was underwater, under a meter of water, that uh, they're out of service, according to an update posted on Twitter. Firefighters were taking shelter themselves in an upstairs room. After uh, slamming St. Martin, Anguil, uh, Anguilla, and uh, St. Kitts and Nevis, Nevis. Nevis? Nevis. Uh, the storm is now moving, uh, or it has been moving, near the British Virgin Islands uh, and northern U.S. Virgin Islands. As we go to air, we're just getting word from AP of, catas- quote, catastrophic damage in the U.S. Virgin Islands, with at least three people dead there so far. Forecasters warn that Irma's likely path with maximum sustained winds of 185 miles per hour which is above the 157-mile-per-hour thre- threshold for a Category 5. It's well above that. Uh, that the uh, path will uh, is, is now near the uh, Turks and Caicos Islands today, is expected to pass just north of the Dominican Republic and Haiti. 
uh, bringing hurricane-force winds to uh, northern sections of uh, that island, causing mudslides and flooding most likely. In the Bahamas, emergency evacuations have been ordered for six uh, southern islands. But where can these folks evacuate to, frankly, on these tiny islands? I mean, at least in places like Florida, which is being targeted by this terrible storm uh, on uh, Friday and into the weekend, folks at least have somewhere to go if they can get out. Yeah, they can drive inland, for example, but uh, not on these islands. On these islands, they are literally trapped if they can't get that last flight out. Must be absolutely uh, horrifying. Oh, it's absolutely terrifying. Uh, Irma skirted Puerto Rico on Wednesday night, and uh, right now they say, officials say that there are more than a million people without power. Now that's a problem, not just because electricity is nice and useful to have. It's good for hospitals. It's a necessity for them to get communications out. It's also a necessity for for sanitation, for keeping the water running. And right now they have major sanitation issues that they are talking about across the Caribbean with the risk of the higher risk now of waterborne diseases because there's a lack of clean drinking water. There's a contaminated of the the water supply. And so right now it's uh, it's it's really difficult. On Thursday morning, the Puerto Rico governor, Ricardo Rosselio, said Officials were beginning the arduous task of assessing damage to the island and bringing back electricity. He also warned that the weather is not over. He said that there's flash flooding to be concerned with. Additional rain is expected to come on Saturday. Um, and it's, uh, it's they may have Puerto Rico may have uh, skirted the worst of this, but it's not over. Not yeah, over because it's a very mountainous rain. state. Yeah. That means that all of that rain and it's expected to have even more rain now is going to cause flash flooding. So um, right now there are. Uh, The National Hurricane Center says that the storm surge is also likely to cause life-threatening surf and rip current conditions. And uh, those are also expected to come to basically all of the islands and Florida that are in the path of Irma heading this way. So... It's a, it's a very bad situation. One of the things that really shocked me was specifically the Prime Minister of Barbuda said that for their island, which you mentioned, is only about 1,800 full-time year-round residents. Mm-hmm. He said that the damage he's estimating will be about $100 million to rebuild. And that's just for little for Barbuda. For a little tiny island, yes. Imagine how the coast of Florida, Georgia... North and South Carolina, which are now uh, in line uh, in, in the path of Irma, according to the forecasters. Uh, meteorologists say that Irma could strike the Miami area by early Sunday, yep. I think, and then rake the entire length of Florida's east coast, pushing into Georgia and the Carolinas. Colorado State University meteorology professor Phil Klotzbach uh, said, quote, this thing is a buzzsaw. I don't see any way out of it. In other words, it's not just going to come in to hit Florida and then break up and be done or hit Miami and be done. This thing could continue all the way up the uh, all the way up the coast. Yeah, with the hot ocean temperatures out in the Atlantic, this is how this hurricane continues to de- to to gather fuel to keep going. Klotzbach said that this is only the second time on Earth since satellites started uh, tracking these storms about 40 years ago that one has maintained 185 mile per hour winds for more than 24 hours. Uh, That's unheard of. That uh, hasn't that hasn't happened. I just I it happened so, once. Apparently there yeah, was one other time. That it, was it. It doesn't generally happen. though. Right. University of Miami hurricane researcher uh, Brian McNoldy said it could uh, easily prove to be the costliest storm in U.S. history. 
And that's after many have been saying over the past week uh, that Harvey would be the most uh, costliest storm ever. Remember Harvey? (laughs) Remember? That was just last week. Yeah. Uh, Oh, by the way, uh, Trump's exclusive Mar-a-Lago resort in Palm Beach is apparently uh, in straight in the path right now of the storm. Weather Underground's Jeff Masters said that if it uh, if the storm goes up the Gold Coast, like the current models are saying, then the Gold Coast is going to become the Mud Coast. He said that includes Mar-a-Lago. Now, mind you, Mar-a-Lago has been there, I think, since like the 30s or something. It's actually uh, uh, fortified against these types of storms or at least uh, the type of storms that generally uh, hit Florida, whether it's up to 185 mile per hour winds. However, that's another question. Building codes were enforced more stringently in Miami after Hurricane Andrew in, was it 1992? 1992, yes. Uh, which was, I think, the last hurricane of this strength to uh, to hit Florida. The population, however, has grown like crazy since then, and coastal development has continued. And, as AP notes, climate change has become more pronounced. Also, housing constructed in Florida under the 2001 rules Uh, All of this uh, population growth and and development under the 2001 rules, it's built to withstand just a Category 3 hurricane. Oh, dear. Or winds up to 129 miles per hour. That, according to uh, FEMA Agency Director Brock Long. And uh, this thing right now, while it's at 175, 185 miles per hour, I think it's going to go down to a Category 4 when it strikes Florida, if it strikes Florida. Uh, down to a Category 4, but still that would be well above the 129 miles per hour uh, Category 3. And this is where policy responses to natural disasters really, really matter. When Florida was setting those building codes and deciding, oh, you know, we just had a Category 5, but let's go ahead and make those building codes only to Category 3. That was a policy choice, and that means that there are going to be a lot of people who, if Florida gets a direct hit and Irma is a Category 4, then there are a lot of people whose buildings will not be able to withstand that, who will have a lot of damage that was preventable. Exactly. And a lot of people are going to say, well, why did we do that? When we get uh, hurricanes that are Category 5, why did we only require Category 3? Well, the... The construction lobby uh, puts a lot of money into politics. They They have a lot of sway in in places like uh, Florida. Um, And, uh, well, we'll see. uh, God forbid we end up now paying the price for that. Yeah, it would be nice not to have to test that. All right. A quick break here before we get to our... Our guest, uh, actually, uh, well, here, let me lighten things up a little bit before we get to our guest, because uh, I find this story kind of funny. Russian President Vladimir Putin joked on Thursday that American Secretary of State Rex Tillerson had, quote, fallen in with the wrong crowd since uh, he was <laughs> awarded Russia's Order of Friendship Award back in 2013. Tillerson had served as the CEO of ExxonMobil since we're sort of talking about all of this ties back to the uh, petroleum, to the uh, fossil fuel industry. So, because well, it does. Yeah, I know it does. And so he was uh, the CEO of ExxonMobil, of course, for 10 years before he uh, accepted uh, Trump's uh, appointment as Secretary of State. He had extensive business experience in Russia over the past three decades. And so he was given the Order of Friendship Award, according to the to, uh, to the Kremlin, for his, quote, big contribution to developing cooperation in the energy sector. Specifically, he had received it after Exxon 
expanded a deal with the majority Russian government-owned energy company Rosneft, uh, a huge deal, like a $3 billion deal that I believe is still blocked due to sanctions that the U.S. under Barack Obama had instituted against Russia. Well, on Thursday, this according to the translation from Reuters, Putin had joked to a U.S. citizen uh, at an economic forum in Vladivostok that um, that he regretted giving Tillerson the, the award. He said, we awarded your compatriot, Mr. Tillerson, the award of uh, the order of friendship, but he seems to have fallen in with the wrong company and to be steering in the other direction, he said, adding, quote, I hope that the wind of cooperation, friendship and reciprocity will eventually put him on the right path. Oh, my. <laughs> Reuters reports that the uh, comment was met with cheers from the crowd. Uh, all right. One more before we uh, get to our break here. Former Mexican President Vicente Fox uh, is speaking out very, very strongly against President Trump for his decision to end the uh, DACA program. Uh, he, he tweeted uh, and actually the tweet, I think, is, is is stronger than the video, but he tweeted a video uh, with with a few comments. And uh, with in the tweet itself, he said Donald Trump canceled the future of 800,000 kids who are the cornerstone of America. And he added he didn't even have the balls to say it himself. Wow. Trump, you have failed America. <laughs> Canceling DACA. It is the worst action you have ever done against the ones that cannot defend themselves. This measure is cruel and heartless. You're canceling the future of 800,000 children and young people. You are so mistaken. The future of any country is the minorities, which will be majorities in a few years. You cannot stop the change, the progress, the future of that great nation. I hope your grandsons never be in this terrible situation. Wow. <laughs> that was uh, that was former Mexican president Vicente Fox slamming Donald Trump after the announcement that some 800,000 uh, kids, children of immigrants who uh, came here through no fault of their own, may now be deported. If uh, at least if Congress doesn't come up with some sort of legislation in the uh, in the next six months, to head things off, or if Donald Trump doesn't change his mind as he does, well, now a new lawsuit may help Donald Trump change his mind. We'll uh, take a quick break here and come back and talk about the lawsuit, the lawsuits actually now being filed against the Trump administration to reinstate DACA. So many lawsuits against this administration, so little time. I'm Brad Friedman. This is your Bradcast.
Hi, this is Desi Doyen from the Green News Report and the Bradcast. What the public hears on the public airwaves matters. At the Bradcast, we do our best to bring you accurate news and analysis on the issues that actually matter. And we do it all independently, without corporate or political influence. But we can't do it without you, now more than ever. Please help us stay on your public airwaves by going to bradblog.com slash donate to help keep us going. That's bradblog.com slash donate. And thanks. Everywhere around the world, they come into America. Every time that flag's unfurled, they come into America. Yeah. Remember when we used to play that song uh, at uh, Fourth of July celebrations? We were we were proud of that then. We used to play that. You don't hear that anymore uh, on the Fourth of July. Yeah, there was a moment in time, many years in fact, when the U.S. was actually proud to be a nation of immigrants. I'm old enough to remember it very well. Welcome back to the Bradcast, Brad Friedman from Bradblog.com. After the Trump administration announced on Tuesday that they were ending President Barack Obama's Deferred Action for Childhood Arrivals, or DACA, program, President Donald Trump on Thursday said that young, undocumented immigrants currently protected by DACA had, quote, nothing to worry about during the six months before the program's protections ended. In a tweet that was apparently a response to a request from House Minority Leader Nancy Pelosi, who is uh, currently enjoying the fact that Trump agreed with congressional Democrats uh, on a short-term deal to fund the government through the end of the year. Don't get too excited, Nancy. He will stab you and the Democrats again very soon. Uh, In a tweet in response to a request from Pelosi to DACA recipients, Trump said, For all those that are concerned about your status during the six-month period, you have nothing to worry about. No action, said Trump. Uh, Feel better? Yeah, you've got a full six months before we begin to deport you, apparently, unless Congress takes some sort of legislative action and Trump is in the mood to sign that action. Nothing to worry about, really? I wonder if uh, if I had tweeted to Trump, hey, you and your family members may be indicted and sent to jail, but probably not for six months or so, so you have nothing to worry about. You suppose that would put him and his family at ease? Of course, on Tuesday, Trump formally ended DACA, the program that allowed nearly one million undocumented immigrants brought to the U.S. as children to apply for work permits, giving them the ability to live out of the shadows without immediate fear of deportation. Trump's executive action was a reversal of President Obama's executive action, which 10 Republican attorneys general had threatened to sue to end and which Trump's attorney general, Jeff Sessions, described as an unlawful executive overreach carried out by the previous president. The program ceased accepting new applications on Wednesday. Holders of current DACA permits expiring before March of 2018 can apply for a two-year extension, but they must do so before October 5 of this year, barely uh, 30 days to do that. Those with permits expiring after March of uh, March 5 of next year will be eligible for deportation as soon as the following day. 
The new Trump policy has been roundly criticized from uh, almost all quarters on the left and even in many places on the right, as well as by religious organizations and, of course, immigration advocates. In a statement released uh, by the National Immigration Law Center, vowing to fight alongside immigrant youth and their allies, the center's executive director, Marielena Hinsopie, said, This is a defining moment for our country. We are being called upon to choose which side of history we are on. Are we going to stand with young people who have grown up in our country and are striving to achieve their dreams? Or are we going to allow policymakers to erect barriers that block youth from contributing their best to this country, which is their home? President Trump allowed DACA to continue for his first seven months in office, she says. He told young immigrant people that they could rest easy and not fear deportation. But now Trump has bowed to his anti-immigrant advisors and base, putting politics above people, hate above reason. The National Immigration Law Center went on to say this is a morally bankrupt choice. Trump's decision to pull the rug out from under nearly a million young people who are contributing to their communities across the country will only serve to destabilize these young people, their families and their communities. DACA, she writes, uh, DACA applicants relied on a promise by the federal government to allow them to live and work without fear of being deported if they came forward, paid a fee, passed a background check, and were deemed eligible after meeting certain requirements. The National Immigration Law Center will vigorously defend their rights in the courtroom if necessary, Should the government renege on that promise? Well, it looks as if the government is reneging on that promise. And now some 15 Democratic state attorneys general have filed suit against the Trump administration. According to the AP, 15 states and the District of Columbia sued the U.S. government on Wednesday to block President Trump's plan to end protection against deportation for young immigrants who New York's attorney general labeled the best of America. The lawsuit filed in federal court in Brooklyn asks a judge to strike down as unconstitutional the president's action involving the DACA program. It called the move, quote, a culmination of President Trump's oft-stated commitments to punish and disparage people with Mexican roots. Joining us now to discuss the lawsuit, what it alleges, and its uh, chances for success is the National Immigration Law Center's Myra Wachin. She is staff attorney and a uh, Columbia Law Social Justice Fellow for the National Immigration Law Center, where she focuses on improving access to affordable health care coverage for uninsured immigrants. Prior to joining NILC, uh, Myra worked at the Public Law Center's Immigration Unit and for Judge Denny Chin of the U.S. Court of Appeals for the Second Circuit. She is herself a Salvadoran immigrant and a graduate of Columbia Law School. Myra Wachin, welcome to the broadcast. Thank you, Brad. Great to have you here. Uh, Originally, we had, as I noted in that intro, uh, 10 states, all Republican states, suing to end DACA. Now we have 15 state attorney generals from Democratic states suing to reinstate DACA. Both groups seem to be claiming that the actions, uh, first by President Obama, now by President Trump, are unconstitutional. Uh, and I should say I'm against Trump's reversal of DACA. I think it's cruel and inhumane and self-defeating and, frankly, harmful and expensive in many ways to the U.S. But that said, 
Much as I believe that Obama had the constitutional and legal right to institute his executive order, doesn't Donald Trump similarly have that right to reverse it with his own uh, executive order? Well, Brad, um, then that's a great question because this has been the crux of the argument on the states who previously sued to terminate the DACA program. Mm-hmm. Um, those originally state ten states who soon became nine after the state of Tennessee decided to withdraw right. from its support. Those states indicated that because the Obama administration had issued the program DACA through executive action, it was uh, part of executive overreach, and as a result, it was unconstitutional. Um, The fact is that any president has the authority to issue forms of deferred action, Mm -hmm. as did the Obama administration, and previous administrations have done so themselves. What we are alleging in our lawsuit is that even though creating the DACA program was an exercise of executive action. Removing that program can be done um, whenever there's a longstanding policy in which individuals have relied. And this is, in fact, because one federal statute, the Administrative Procedure Act, prohibits any reversals of longstanding policies in which individuals have relied. And so DACA is a program that almost 800,000 individuals have benefited from, This program has enabled them to secure a job, to advance their educational goals, to obtain access to items such as a home or to purchase a car, Mm -hmm. um, different items that they wouldn't have been able to attain without the DACA program. This program has been in existence for now five years, and it was in place for about seven months while the Trump administration, um, since the Trump administration took office. And throughout this time frame, individuals have constantly relied on a promise that they would be able to obtain temporary deferred action um, because of the DACA program. And the reversal of this policy without any adequate reason for doing so is a violation of federal law. And this is something that the 15 states, as well as D.C., have agreed upon. Um, and it's the basis for both the lawsuits on behalf of the states, as well as the Martin um, Batalla Vidal lawsuit, which is a lawsuit that we brought forward um, on Tuesday, immediately after the Trump administration announced its decision to terminate the program. So at the, at the crux of, of both of these lawsuits, uh, your own and these uh, 15 states, is is the idea that he may have, Donald Trump may have as president, the authority to take these actions, but he has to have some compelling governmental reason in order to uh, in order to do so. That is correct. In order for the Trump administration to reverse this policy, they must have an adequate, justified reason. Mm-hmm. However, when they just issued their statement on Tuesday, indicating that the program would be facing out, there was no adequate justification. Instead, the government. Um, repeated erroneous statements indicating that these individuals are taking other people's jobs um, and making statements that aren't accurate. Um, the government also relied on speculation of upcoming judicial decisions mm-hmm. um, where there really hasn't been any decisions that have been issued on the legality of DACA. And so we believe that the fact that there is no adequate justification that was made before terminating the program is a violation of the federal law. The um, uh, DHS, Department of Homeland Security, has announced that, th- that it will give DACA information to immigration authorities if asked for that information. We've uh, seen cases recently, and I, I think uh, perhaps under the same uh, uh, legal argument that, that uh, you're making here, Myra, that uh, one of these lawsuits over funding of Obamacare, where the courts 
determined that a promise uh, that had been made by the federal government, in that case, I think it was for payments to an insurance company, that the promise for that payment must not be withheld by a new administration, uh, at least without a, a, a similar, you know, a compelling reason. That seems a very similar legal argument could be in play here. These were folks who uh, followed the rules. They gave their information, names, addresses to the federal government. They paid taxes, etc. Um, so is that a similar legal argument? And do does uh, do any of these lawsuits actually try to block the uh, Department of Homeland Security from giving that information to uh, to immigration authorities? Yes, and this is actually um, a claim that's raised within the state's lawsuit. The states mm-hmm. are claiming that the individuals, because they have provided mm-hmm. information regarding both themselves and their relatives, this is all sensitive information which the individuals only provided because they relied on the DACA program's um, previous memo, which indicated that providing this prog- this information would not result in any enforcement actions against them. Since the announcement was issued on Tuesday, the new memo um, and uh, frequently asked questions indicates that any information that has been submitted through those applications may be made available to an immigration enforcement agencies whenever that information is needed for a removal procedure or whenever someone is placed um, at the start of any removal procedures. And so as a result, information that almost 800,000 individuals submitted, not just about themselves, but about their loved ones as well, can be made available to enforcement agencies that could place them into removal proceedings. This is even this is devastating. Um, it's an unfortunate result of the announcement that came out on Tuesday, and so states are now claiming that because individuals relied on the administration mm-hmm. in providing that information um, and because the former administration did indicate that this information would remain confidential and it would not be shared, it is unconstitutional for the administration to now indicate that that information can be used in enforcement procedures. I want to ask you about the administration's uh, claims of Jeff Sessions. I noticed it wasn't Donald Trump who went out and made the announcement. He sent out Jeff Sessions to do it on Tuesday. Right. Uh, I want to ask you some more specifics about their claims, but as an immigrant yourself, uh, a Salvadoran immigrant. Um, what what is your sense? What is the, what is the feeling uh, in uh, among the immigrant community at this point following this announcement? Uh, is there uh, c- concern, fear, uh, uh, strength to stand up against this? What's what's your general sense of the community at this point? I think it's a combination of the various different. Um, Items you just listed, there's there's fear, mm-hmm. uh, fear in the fact that these individuals who will start facing out of the DACA program starting March 6th can be picked up by immigration agencies and placed through removal procedures. These are individuals who have lived, many of them, for decades in the United States and who call the United States their home. Um, that There's a fear as to what can happen to their relatives, fear as to what will happen to their employment opportunities. Will they be able to secure a job, even though many of these individuals have worked hard for years. Um, they've pursued advanced educational degrees um, and are now facing the reality that as of March 6th, many of them will no longer be able to be employed under federal regulations. There's also there's a lot of uncertainty as to what will happen six months from now. Um, as you mentioned earlier, mm-hmm. 
Mm -hmm. President Trump did issue a tweet stating that there will be some type of action in six months, but no one knows what that means. And the administration's previous inconsistent statements, first indicating to DREAMers that the administration would work with them and create some a good program, um, and now revoking that program suggests that we don't know what will happen to the DACA program itself, at least from going forward from the administration's standpoint. Right now they have reversed it, and whether they will take an alternative route six months from now is unclear. Um, there's also a lot of um, concerns among family members because this announcement on Tuesday was devastating, not just to the 800,000 individuals who are directly affected, but also to all of their loved ones. Mm-hmm. We must remember that sometimes it may be the parent who, uh, who is a DACA beneficiary and they have U.S. citizen children, or it might be a sibling that's in the status. And so the impact of this decision far surpasses the 800,000 people who mm-hmm. are affected by it. Yeah, and this is after... Donald Trump had said previously, oh, no, we're not we're not going to break up families. We're going to keep them together. Uh, Hard to know if he meant that uh, he was going to keep them together by allowing them to stay here or throw out, you know, the entire family, including a lot of these uh, kids who now have uh, kids themselves, as you say, who are, in fact, American citizens. It also seems to me. Myra, that uh, the administration has somewhat backed itself into a corner while Trump has, you know, come out and said, well, we'll see. He'll revisit the issue after uh, after six months. Well, when they made this announcement, they said that the uh, that Obama's original uh, uh, executive order was unlawful, was unconstitutional. Well, if the Congress is unable to legislatively fix this and it goes back to 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 the to the administration, the Trump administration to do something about this, um, wouldn't using his executive authority to once again defer or delay the deportation uh, of these people? Wouldn't that be similarly unlawful and unconstitutional as they had claimed Obama's order was? And and that's a difficult um, standing ground because they have previously claimed that this creating the DACA program itself was an an overreach of Mm -hmm. executive action. And so if the Trump administration were to consider reinstating the program and follow a similar protocol, um, it would essentially be doing what it claimed the Obama administration did so unconstitutionally. And so what the tweet may suggest um, and what it appears is happening within an administration who's gone through various challenges in the past seven months is that there's this constant back and forth between Congress and the White House as to who's going to take responsibility and who's going to legalize um, a program that has protected hundreds of thousands of individuals mm-hmm. whom many, including Republican Congress and Congress members, believe um, should be allowed to remain in the United States. It's been about 10 years, I think, since uh, Congress, uh, specifically Republicans in Congress, have have failed to pass legislation to deal with this issue. Do you get any sense um, that uh, that suddenly uh, Congress will be more likely to handle this problem now that a six month clock is uh, is is ticking? What is your uh, what is your sense of that? Is is Congress finally going to be able to pass something to put this problem behind us? Well, I do believe that there's a glimmer, a small glimmer of hope in what occurred on Tuesday, in that subsequent to the 
announcement, um, individuals across the nation have sprung up and vocalized their support for the DACA program. Prior to Tuesday, many individuals did not even understand what DACA was. Um, now, as a result of the announcement, there's a large group of individuals who have been participating in rallies and marches across the U.S., voicing their support for the program. We do believe that Congress members themselves um, are supportive, and this is a program that has always had bipartisan support. Um, we believe that the decision to end the program, which is ultimately providing this six-month window for Congress to find a solution, is going to ignite a fire that may not necessarily have been there in the past, mm. simply because these individuals had some sort of protection. Mm. Now it is up to Congress to take action and to do what's right and ensure that these individuals don't lose out of the protections that they that they deserve to have. Uh, Myra Huachin, I've got just a, another minute or so here, but uh, in in speaking about this, in uh, you know, people suddenly you, m- you mentioned that people are suddenly understanding what this program actually is and how important it is uh, to so many people. It kind of reminds me of what happened when they were trying to kill the Affordable Care Act or Obamacare. Suddenly, uh, you know, a bunch of Americans who had been fed propaganda about these programs for so long finally understood what these programs really are, and you saw a, an uptick in support for uh, for Obamacare. I know your work uh, at the NILC focuses on improving access to affordable health care coverage for uninsured immigrants. Um, we've been talking on this show of late about how the Trump administration seems to be all but abandoning promotion and organization for the upcoming uh Obamacare enrollment period that begins in November, particularly in the Latino community. In your work um, on health care issue, uh, coverage issues uh, with immigrants, have you noticed a specific change in communication or resources, etc., being made available to the community uh, by this administration in comparison to the the previous years under the Obama uh, presidency? So there's actually been um, less resources that have been made available under this administration to the Latino community. Um, What we're witnessing instead is the need for local advocates and um, insurance providers to develop their own materials ever since November. And because of the rhetoric that was used throughout the campaign um, that was anti-immigrant and anti-Latino, many individuals began doubting whether they were able to access healthcare services despite being eligible to do so. Um, I do want to emphasize that the Affordable Care Act has several restrictions in terms of who can access its services, and so only certain individuals in specific immigration categories. Um, these are individuals who are lawfully present, and so they have a federal authorization to be in the U.S., um, are the ones who can access services under the Affordable Care Act. However, because of the constant fear that individuals might be targeted for immigration if they um, access any services that they weren't eligible for, many individuals stopped accessing health care services, stopped going to the doctor, started canceling appointments. Mm. And what we're seeing is an uptick in organizations who are developing materials to remind individuals that they continue to be eligible for these services. The laws have not changed. And instead, we want to remind everyone that any health care service for which they have been eligible prior to the Trump administration continues to be available to this date. Um, eligibility rules around those services have not changed, and so people should continue to access those necessary services. 
Don't be afraid. Uh, you still have rights in this country, at least for a while longer, uh, thanks in no small part to the National Immigration Law Center fighting for those rights. Myra Huachin, uh, thank you for joining us today. Uh, I really appreciate your work and NILC's work. Uh, people can get more information at NILC.org and on the Twitters at NILC underscore org. Uh, I think that's uh, I think that's all the contacts there. Uh, Myra, uh, Myra Huachin, really appreciate you joining us here today. And uh, don't be uh, surprised or angry if we give you a call once uh, the open uh, enrollment period starts just to uh, follow up and see how things are going. No, of course. Thank you so much, Brad, for having me on. My pleasure. Thank you, Myra. Okay, a quick break, and we are back to uh, to Green News and the Green News Report updates on all of these hurricanes and tropical depressions right now in the Atlantic uh, and more of the fallout from Harvey, which continues. So uh, all of that and more right here on the Bradcast Straight Ahead. I'm Brad Friedman. Don't go away. Hey, this is Brad. If you haven't noticed by now, it's no easy feat finding facts, real facts, not alternative facts, over your public airwaves. We try to bring you real facts, truth, and clarity without fear or favor each and every day on the Bradcast. But we need your help to do it. If you enjoy the show and or get something from it, please give back a bit, if you can, by visiting us at bradblog.com donate. Your support helps Desi and me continue to bring you real, independent, progressive news five days a week over your public airwaves. We simply can't do it without your help, and that help is needed more now than ever. Please stop by bradblog.com donate today to make a one-time donation or, even better, automated monthly support. It'll take you about 60 seconds, and you can rest easy knowing that we'll be here every day making sense of it all, or at least trying to. That's bradblog.com slash donate, and thanks. Welcome back to the Bradcast. Brad Friedman from bradblog.com. Desi Doyen, I know you've already got updates to the uh, to our latest Green News report, <laughs> so let's get to it. So we have some time for those updates. I cannot stress this enough. Do not ignore evacuation orders. After widespread devastation in the Caribbean, Hurricane Irma takes aim at the U.S. Hurricane Harvey leaves behind a man-made ecological disaster. Plus... Over 130 active large wildfires, 12,000 firefighters in the state of California. Record heat waves and wildfires across the West. And FEMA is out of money. All of those records and more straight ahead. From bradblog.com, I'm Brad Friedman. And I'm Desi Doyan. Stand by for six minutes of independent green news, politics, analysis, and snarky comment there's a new and seems to be record-breaking hurricane heading right toward florida and puerto rico and it looks like it could be something that will be uh, not good it will be very not good believe me not good i believe you for the first time this is your green news report Okay, Desi Doyen, the weather historians are reaching deep, deep into the record books with now three different active hurricanes in the Atlantic and a tropical depression behind 
the third one. It's kind of amazing. Yes, it's uh, turning out to be a doozy of a hurricane season. To say the least. On the heels of Hurricane Harvey, the record-breaking Hurricane Irma made its first landfall early Wednesday morning on the tiny island of Barbuda as a powerful Category 5 and plowed across the Caribbean, causing widespread destruction, killing at least 13 people and pummeling Puerto Rico. Puerto Rico is already grappling with a deep financial crisis, and officials warn it could take months to restore electricity to the U.S. island territory. And I'm afraid it will take some time to actually get the, any kind of real death tolls from the devastation so far, because a lot of these tiny islands, are uh, their communication is completely knocked out. Hurricane Irma is the most powerful hurricane ever recorded in the Atlantic Ocean, according to the National Hurricane Center. As we go to air, Irma remains on a collision course with the east coast of the U.S. The governors of Florida and South Carolina have declared states of emergency, and Florida Governor Rick Scott has ordered mandatory evacuations, warning residents to take Irma's threat seriously. I cannot stress this enough. Do not ignore evacuation orders. Remember, we can rebuild your home, but we cannot rebuild your life. Do not sit and wait for this storm to come. It is extremely dangerous and deadly and will cause devastation. Get prepared right now. Irma is the most powerful storm on the planet so far this year. It's fueled by heat energy from unusually warm ocean temperatures. Climate scientist Michael Mann told Climate Progress, quote, Irma certainly fits the pattern of increasingly strong hurricanes, precisely what studies have predicted we would see as a result of human-caused warming. Right behind Irma, Hurricane Jose has formed in the Atlantic. And in the southern Gulf of Mexico, Hurricane Katya is now threatening the Mexican state of Veracruz. That's three simultaneous hurricanes, a rare occurrence, all fueled by record warm ocean temperatures. And then there's that tropical depression behind Jose. This just keeps going and going. In Texas, economic losses wrought by Hurricane Harvey are estimated to be in the neighborhood of $200 billion, more than Hurricane Katrina and Hurricane Sandy combined. Harvey also left behind an ecological disaster. Thirteen Superfund sites in the Houston region were flooded. More than a million pounds of toxic pollution was released into the air and water from the refineries and chemical manufacturers that are clustered in the region. The toxic pollution releases are legal, a result of the fossil fuel and chemical industries successfully lobbying Texas and the EPA to weaken rules on toxic pollution and disclosure. Apparently the message, please mess with Texas. Simultaneously, out in the western U.S., an extreme heat wave obliterated all-time high temperature records in many cities over the Labor Day weekend, like San Francisco, which recorded its all-time highest temperature of 106 degrees. That heat wave intensified over 100 large active wildfires across the west, blanketing the Pacific Northwest region in smoke and ash and moving Washington State Governor Jay Inslee to declare a state of emergency. In Montana, campers were evacuated from Glacier National Park. In Oregon, more than 140 hikers were rescued from a wildfire in the Columbia River Gorge. And the city of Los Angeles was hit with the largest wildfire in the city's history. Because of the string of natural disasters this year, FEMA, the Federal Emergency Management Agency, has nearly depleted its budget for the year. Congress appears to be moving quickly to pass supplemental funding for FEMA and an $8 billion initial disaster aid package for victims of Hurricane Harvey. A handful of Republicans are still demanding budget cuts elsewhere to offset disaster aid, like they did when they attempted to block disaster funds for Superstorm Sandy.
Climate scientists have warned for years that man-made global warming will bring more frequent and intense extreme weather events. Our cities were built for the last century's climate. It's long past time we start thinking about the next 100 years. Long past indeed. For much more on all of those stories and the ones we couldn't get to, check out our website at greennews.bradblog.com. Don't forget you can download our reports anytime via Stitcher, TuneIn, or iTunes. Find us, follow us, and share us worldwide on the Facebooks and the Twitters at Green News Report. I'm Brad Friedman. And I'm Desi Doyan. And this has been your Green News Report. Now the planning, the crime of the century. Well, what would it be? I think we know what the crime of the century was and at is. this point. Oh, and yeah. is and will be. Uh, we've got some updates, uh, speaking of the crime of the century, uh, some updates uh, since today's Green News report on uh, on Jose. Yes. No way. Yes, remember that. So that's the uh, second uh, hurricane following behind Hurricane Irma that's out in the open Atlantic right now. It's, of course, too early to tell its exact path, but the National Hurricane Center released an ominous bulletin on Thursday um, about Jose. It says, quote, Jose expected to become a major hurricane by Friday. Watches issued for the northern Leeward Leeward Islands. Those are the ones that were just hit by Hurricane Irma. Irma. Jose is now a Category 2, and Antigua and Barbuda have issued a new hurricane watch. Barbuda. So all of those, uh, we we sort of followed the path of Hurricane Irma at the first part of today's show as it's been going across through the Leeward Islands. And across the Caribbean. uh, Caribbean towards Florida. Now this storm is right behind it, set to take the exact same path, hit those exact same island nations once again. Right. Again, it's still too early to tell, but it's it's just sort of, you know. Ominous, yeah. It's very ominous. Okay, so now back to uh, Harvey, Hurricane yep. Harvey and Houston. Uh, there's a new development now. A plume of benzene, toxic benzene, has been detected in the air over Houston by air monitors after four fossil fuel companies reported leaks of the highly toxic compound. <laughs> benzene damages the central nervous system. It increases the risk of cancer even from very brief exposures. Um, and what we had been talking about in, you the, mentioned green, in the Green News report that yeah. this is legal. But it is not legal to release benzene for Christ's no, sake. it's not necessarily legal to release benzene, but the chemical industry and the fossil fuel industry lobbied the Obama administration, EPA, to revise their rules that now exempt companies from any limits about uh, what, how much they can release when they're starting up and shutting down during what they call force majeure, which are, you know, acts of God events, weather events like Hurricane Harvey. So they weren't supposed to be able to do that. They were supposed to take extra precautions to prevent such toxic compounds from being released, but the Obama administration changed that rule after that aggressive lobbying. Thanks, Obama. Yeah, and so now also in uh, in the state of Texas, uh, remember the Arkema chemical plant in Crosby, Texas? Yes, the one that we were awaiting. It was going to blow up no matter what. It was going to catch fire. These chemicals, they couldn't keep them refrigerated because the power was out, and then eventually 
They did like yep. eight different trailers eight blew different up and caught fire. Eight different tanks and trailers yep. blew up and caught fire. That has uh, they had to allow it to burn itself out. Mm-hmm. Um, so now a new lawsuit has been filed against the Arkema Chemical Company. Good. Um, so based on the fact that only a few months ago, just to, just a little background here in Texas, Arkema and its lobbying group got both Texas and the EPA to change rules that were designed to require chemical companies like Arkema to share information. About about what kind of chemicals are stored on site so that they can help out first responders. Now, this was a rule that came in after the West Texas fertilizer plant explosion when all those first responders rushed in and 15 people were killed by that explosion because nobody knew what was on site. So, so this required them to disclose what is on site to government officials, but not to the public? Well, this was to everybody. It was okay. supposed to be a publicly available report. And then at that time, the attorney general of Texas, Greg Abbott, who's now the governor, yep. he actually personally intervened to make those reports confidential so that the public can't get access and neither can first responders. So unfortunately, when those first responders were standing outside the Arkema chemical plant, yep. when those tanks exploded, Remember, there was about 14 of them were sent to the hospital. Well, now one of those first responders has filed suit. He says that they should have been told what hap- what was there. They should have uh, uh, had any kind of information to let them know. He said all of them fell ill in the middle of the road after those tanks exploded. So they say that Arkema failed to provide them with that accurate information. So, you know, we'll see what happens from that lawsuit. But somebody is now right. reaching out and saying, stop it. Good. Good. Sue the bastard. Sue uh, Greg Abbott. Fine by me. All right. And one more item just in because we haven't been the bearers of enough bad news uh, today. (laughs) Uh, Just breaking from AP, apparently Equifax, the credit monitoring service, says that a breach exposed Social Security numbers and other personal data from some 143 million Americans. Mm. The Atlanta-based company says criminals exploited a U.S. website application to access files between May and July of this year. Social Security numbers, birth dates, addresses, in some cases driver's licenses oh, wow. uh, were exposed. Everything you would need to uh, steal someone's identity. Uh, as well, credit card numbers for about 209,000 U.S. consumers were also accessed. So uh, Social Security numbers for 143 million Americans, that's about that's half, half of, the half population. The yeah. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Uh, and 200,000 uh, uh, consumer credit cards. Uh, and yet... Don't worry, your local uh, county registrar will be perfectly able to protect your vote on their voting machines. Equifax can't, but your uh, county clerk will be able to do so. I got some thoughts on that, maybe for our next thrilling episode of the Bradcast. Uh, Until then, my thanks to our producer, Desi Doyen, to my guest today, Myra Huachin of the National Immigration Law Center, and to you for spending a portion of your day or night with us. If you missed any portion of today's show or any other, you can download it anytime for free at bradblog.com. On the Facebooks and the Twitters, we hope you will follow and share us. I am simply the Brad Blog. You can also drop me an email if you like. I'm bradcast at bradblog.com. And as ever, my thanks to those of you who stopped by bradblog.com slash donate to help us continue to do what we try to do every day on your public airwaves. All right, until we meet again, I'm Brad Friedman. Good luck, world.